Thank you for connecting to the Bethany Chapel Sermon Link. Our prayer is that you will find the following sermon helpful and inspiring for your spiritual journey. If you are a visitor to this resource, or if you've not attended our church, we would love to meet you in person. Our vision at Bethany Chapel is opening doors to God's truth and love. God bless you as you listen. We're continuing today with our series AD 30, which is basically a chronological uh, movement through the life of Christ, and I've entitled our message today, No Worries. I love this expression. I hear it a lot, obviously, in Canada. It's our way sort of of easing a tense situation. It's our way of accepting an apology. It's incredibly Canadian. This is the most Canadian sermon I've probably ever preached in my life. Because half the conversations here are like uh, three words. Sorry, no worries. <laughs> but actually nothing could be further from the truth as far as worry. We are incessant worriers. And it's only getting worse. In fact, anxiety disorders are now sort of replacing depression disorders as the primary mental health problems that we're facing in our cultures in the Western world. According to psychologist Robert Leahy in his book, Anxiety Free, he's talking about American children. They did some studies on them. And he said the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Think about that. People that were potentially institutionalized 70 years ago are now just like the average American child. Material comfort and security may be higher than it was back then, but the other prevailing issues like separation from extended family, loss of community, loss of neighborhood, uncertain employment, massive migration over the last 120 years from sort of the farm and the land that you grew up on generation after generation to cities where jobs are much more uncertain and so on. Threats of terrorism, uncertain futures, high medical costs, immersion in technology, the speed, the pace of life, lack of emotional support are a few of the many contributing factors. As he said, we live in the age of anxiety. We become a nation of nervous wrecks. Think about that. That is the life of a child today. According to data from the National Institute of Mental Health, some 38% of girls, this was New York Times article in 2017, so it's not too dated, 38% of girls 13 to 17, so almost four in 10, 26% of boys have an anxiety disorder. On college campuses, anxiety is running well ahead of depression as the most common mental health concern according to a 2016 national study of more than 150,000 students. Meanwhile, the number of web searches involving the term has nearly doubled over the last five years. This also was written in 2017, according to Google Trends. The trend line for depression was flat, anxiety disorders doubling, and I'm sure it's worse today. That was all pre-COVID. Today, there is plenty to worry about. Kids are being taught that the end of the world is right around the corner. And I'm not making this an educational forum or a critique of the modern world, but I didn't go to school and wasn't taught that the world is coming to an end in the next 20 or 30 or 40 years. There were issues when I was young, so this was, you know, 1880s. <laughs> we were entering the Industrial Revolution. 
We had just gone through the Civil War in the States. I remember as a kid, acid rain. I don't know if kids today are even aware of acid rain, but it was a major pollution issue in the 60s and 70s. I think it still exists, but not nearly as much because they've done a lot better job of putting scrubbers in coal plants and eliminating certain pollutants. Industrial pollution was an issue. But I can tell you when I was young, again, 1880s, there was a time where the river that empties into one of the great lakes in the US started on fire. Young people today have no recollection of that. But rivers and lakes in parts of the world next to industrial complexes were so polluted that you could literally light a match, throw it on the river, it would start on fire. Many of those things have been rectified and cleaned up. Today, that same river and that lake is one of the greatest walleye fisheries in the States. But kids go to school and they're taught that the world is going to end soon. They come out of science classes in tears. Social media has created a world of comparison that leaves no survivors whatsoever. Facebook is evil. You can send me an email on that if you want to, I probably won't reply. Every time Facebook is caught with the idea that, hey, Instagram for teenagers is showing to be very damaging, eventually they come out and say, yeah, we're really looking into that. We're trying to determine whether we still want to do it anyway to make billions of dollars or whether we might care about people. The new educational model has kids more confused about sexuality than we have been in 10,000 years as a species. There's a lot to be worried about. COVID has us worrying at unprecedented levels. World economies ground to a halt. Countries printed money at new levels to float their economies temporarily. Vaccines are proving to be temporary. We weren't sure about that at first. Not being vaccinated is probably dangerous. Being vaccinated can still be dangerous. And talking about vaccines is very dangerous. <laughs> Would we all agree on that? That I should just move right on or I'll be dead? Now we're worried about inflation or a slowdown. We're not sure which one to be worried about. My hair club for men fees have doubled in the last three years. So the world is worried about inflation. They're worried about interest rates rising just a little bit. Ten-year bond in the States went to 1.5, and you'd have thought it was the end of the world. Historically, incredibly low interest rates. Everything is jittery. So inflation might be rising, people are worried about inflation, and then the next week there'll be bad COVID news, they're worried about the world slowing down again. The world is a mess. People needing surgeries can't get them. People don't feel safe. People don't trust their leaders. Or they do trust their leaders, which is sometimes more concerning. We wonder if life will ever be normal again. The markets are literally reacting day to day based on the latest fears. Big rally in the stock market on Friday. Do you know what it was all about? Merck came out with a pill, kind of a COVID morning after pill. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at that, Eric. <laughs> that took me an hour to think that up. And you guys paid for that. Um, if you get COVID, you take this pill, you're 50% less likely to go to the hospital. It's a big deal. It's a breakthrough medication, potentially. It hasn't gone through FDA approval, but it's a big deal. I relate to anxiety. I was a worrier as a kid. I worried about whether my family's small business would stay afloat. I think my dad probably 
and I love my dad, but he did me probably a disservice by giving me too many answers when I asked questions about how we were doing financially. So I knew how much debt we had, you know, back in the 1970s and different businesses that we owned and wondered if we were going to make it. I was pretty amped up as a grade schooler. I have no idea what medication, but I think they gave me a little yellow pill to kind of calm me down. Aaron could probably tell me what that pill is. I'm not sure I want to know. I'm not taking it any longer. But it's been a lifelong challenge for me. And statistics say that I'm not alone at all, am I? Amazon keeps track of their eBooks and how you can mark sentences on an eBook, and then Amazon knows that. They're also probably watching you through the screen. But anyway, that's another issue. <laughs> I just thought I'd add to a little conspiracy theory. Some of you kind of are like that, and I, I know you. I won't mention any names. The whole most highlighted passage in an ebook Bible is this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the passage about anxiety and worry. It's the most popular passage in the Bible. The other popular passage is the one I want to read to you today from Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. If you don't have a Bible and there's one near you in the pew, uh, you can grab that. About two-thirds of the way through, when you get to the New Testament, the numbers are going to start again, and it's on page 5. Page 5. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you're going to eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, do not worry then saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear for clothes? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to look at four principles in this passage and then a few ways to apply it to our lives. First, worry reflects what we think is important, what we think life is all about. And the reason I've stated it that way is, it's interesting, right away it says, don't worry about your life as to what you're going to eat, drink, your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than these things? The context here is actually interesting because this passage is against the backdrop of concern or anxiety about money, wealth, and security. So this isn't just a general passage about worry. I'm going to talk about it that way in some ways, but I want to give you the context and apply at least that at first because this is what it's connected to. Jesus has just gotten through a passage about money, wealth, and security. 
So this is an application of that passage about possessions. In the verses just before this, it's where Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but rather store up treasures in heaven. Uh, It's where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's where Jesus says, you can't serve both God and mammon. Mammon is a word, comes from a a word, mamona, which means money God. You know, you can't have two gods. You can't serve the idea of, I need to get wealth and possessions in this life, and that's what's most important, and God at the same time. So that's the context. That's what's just been talked about, and all this worry passage here anyway is being applied to that. So Jesus is implying that getting ahead in life financially, having a sense of security in our lives, is a source of a lot of our human anxiety. I mean, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most famous sermons. He's talking about worry, and that's his primary application. It's what we tend to be concerned about, and and I think it's true. Again, I, I remember worrying as a kid about our family's financial situation. I was carrying a burden I should have never carried. I worry now about, about our future financially, about being able to take care of my wife and our old age, et cetera. I told her the other day, you know, she's okay if I die. Between the insurance and her assets, I said, you're going to be fine. If I live, we're not fine. <laughs> not to put too many ideas in her mind. I already worry about the pillow coming down over me at night. But anyway, another issue. We're getting counseling. But it's a natural thing to worry about, security. I think this is the primary worry of most people. Unless you're raising kids, and then there's a lot more to worry about in the world we live in. I think that sort of trumps everything. But two things about this issue of worrying about resources and wealth and security. On money itself, Jesus is right that it's not worth the worry. There have been a lot of studies done on happiness and wealth, and this is very fascinating to me because the social science on this issue pretty much says this. Once your basic human needs are met, so I'm gonna call that lower middle class, whatever that is. Once your basic human needs are met, no amount of money increases happiness. They've done studies on this. I know we all wanna defy it and say, well, I'd like to you know, be really rich and, and, you know, and then see if that's true. But the reality is the studies say once you're okay and you have a sense of security in your life, the more money you get is not going to increase happiness. It's going to increase, you know, maybe your options on weekends, but it's not going to increase happiness. It wasn't long ago that I remember when I preached this in the past, I had a note that the U.S., now I will criticize the U.S. here because that's fun up here on this side of the border, 33rd on the happiness scale in the world, 33rd. Now, that was pre-COVID. What's interesting about this, and, and I just looked this up, I, I did a little research, and now they've done, they do the happiness scale every year. What's interesting about that is now the U.S. is 15th, or Canada is 15th. The U.S. actually came up to 14th. Canada actually dropped five spots during COVID. I'm not sure why that happened. But what's interesting is third and fourth world countries used to be fairly high on this list. Guess who's not getting the vaccine? Guess where there's you know, epidemic and fear? Now, almost all of the countries in the top 10 to 15 are sort of mature democracies that have security and medication going through what we're going through. In the past, that wouldn't have been the case. But on money itself, Jesus is right. We've proven that it doesn't really lead to happiness. A focus on money tends to lead to a couple of problems in our lives. One of them is comparison, which we all do. 
and comparison leads to envy, which is the least fun sin in the world. I mean, who, who gets together with their buddies on a Friday night? Hey, let's do, you know, let's do some envy. I mean, let's just get together. I mean, envy is the NFL sin, the no fun league. I mean, it's just not fun at all. And that's what money leads to, comparison and envy. So Jesus is right to be saying that's not where we should have our focus. And Jesus would also say, now he didn't say it, I'm drawing this principle from it, but worrying about money and wealth and security betrays the bigger principle that worry sort of betrays our value. If you're just thinking about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, whether you're, how big your bank account is, you're saying that's what life is to you. So worry betrays what life is to us, both good and bad. If we're worried about money, that's sort of life to us. If we're worried about our kids, that's life to us, and that's not necessarily all bad. If we're worried about our health, that's life to us. If we're worried about our neighbor, that's life to us. So some of these things are the right things to be concerned about, not necessarily worried. Some of these things are the wrong things to be concerned about. But when we're worried, we're basically betraying in our hearts what we think life is all about. And that should be a little bit of a warning to us when we're thinking about the wrong things. Second, worry underestimates God's care for his creation and therefore his care for you. And that's what much of the passage is about. Look at the birds. They don't sow, reap, gather into barns. Yea, your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they you know, look at, look at the fields and the lilies that adorn them. And aren't you much worth much more than that part of creation? This was a common rabbinic sort of argument style that Jesus is using. He's not alone in this. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if it's true for this situation, how much more is it true for you? That was a common rabbinic argument style. So he starts out with birds. And I used to feed birds. I'm a little embarrassed to admit about how much I did that a little bit of a bird obsession, which didn't seem to go along with my hunting and fishing issues, but anyway. Birds eat seeds. That's what you, you know, that's what you feed them largely, seeds. But I've never seen birds, and I've seen, you know, hundreds, thousands of birds gather throughout a week at my bird feeders, and they eat seeds, but I've never seen birds getting on their little mini tractors and, you know, hitching their plows up, and, 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 and then in the fall, hitching up a harvester or a combine to that same tractor and, you know, sort of gathering their grain in a silo for the winter. Birds are not that sophisticated. They don't even have thumbs. You know, they don't do this stuff. But they eat just fine. Why do they eat just fine? Well, according to Jesus, because there's a loving, caring God that takes care of his creation. Birds don't typically starve, and Jesus' argument is, how much more you compared to birds? You're made in the image of God. There is a difference between us and the rest of creation. We're the highest part of creation. We reflect God. Jesus said, if God's taking care of the birds, he's going to take care of you. You're going to eat just fine. It's going to be okay. Then he gives this illustration of the the fields with the lilies that adorn them, compares it to clothing. Flowers don't work sewing machines, basically what Jesus said. They don't, they don't spin, they don't toil. They're simple creations. They just bloom beautifully. It mattered to a creative genius that we call God to clothe his creation with beauty. And Jesus would say, if it mattered to God to clothe his creation with beauty, 
which uh, you know, is more beautiful than Solomon, the richest king in the Old Testament, if it mattered more to clothe his creation with beauty, how much more you, the crown of creation, you're going to be clothed. God's going to take care of you. My wife and I were traveling on Monday just a little bit. It's amazing how much you can take in even if you don't leave till two in the afternoon. And we took a little field trip to the mountains. We often don't start till in the afternoon on Mondays. And, and we went to Moraine Lake and it's the first time that I had been there. She had been there recently. And it was just beautiful. It was raining, so it wasn't maybe as beautiful as it could have been, but it was beautiful. Glaciers between mountain peaks, the turquoise waters, you know, the dust coming off of the rocks, which causes this interesting coloration. And now think about the beauty that is a screensaver for an awful lot of people around the planet, Moraine Lake, or Lake Louise, for that matter. It's a screensaver. The most beautiful places on this planet that we can get to in two to two and a half hours. I want you to think about that, and now think about a person on this planet with no worldly significance whatsoever. The most forgotten person in what would be perceived to be the most forgotten place. In the eyes of God, that person is more important than God's most spectacular paintings on the planet. The reason some of you live here. The most insignificant person in the world from the world's standpoint is more important than that. That's who's in your corner, according to Jesus. So worry doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, he concludes that, our third point, worry just doesn't change, worry doesn't change uh, the future, it just burdens the present. Verse 27, in the middle of this, between the first illustration and the second illustration, Jesus kind of gives the conclusion. You know, who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? I mean, it just doesn't do a lot of good to worry. Now, I want to introduce a new concept into this because if you're thinking about this, you, you should be thinking, okay, Paul, I don't want to worry, but what, there's got to be some rational concern or something that we have about our lives because we do need to be proactive about things we see coming at us. And I want to introduce a word for you that I think is totally fine, and that word is concern. And so I was trying to look this up, and you know, I did a little research on this, and there's got to be a concept that we accept as okay that I think God would be okay with. And, and so I found this site or this, this paper by a, a, a dude named Dr. Joseph Luciani, PhD. It was called Self-Coaching. He's talking about this issue of worry versus sort of a legitimate concern. And he used the concern, the word concern, this way. He said, concern is a calculated assessment of actual danger. You know, and that's a legitimate thing. You know, we're thinking beings. If you're in the middle of Glenmore, or actually, Glenmore would probably be safe. People drive slow down there. I'll put you on Deerfoot. If you're in the middle of Deerfoot Trail, you know, and it's rush hour, you should be concerned. It's not a place to cross the street. Well, that's, that's a good thing. That's your brain acting like it's supposed to. Concern is a calculated assessment of actual danger. If the roads are icy, you should be concerned. That should lead you to slow down. If you've never grown up, it leads you to find an isolated spot and kind of spin your car around in many ways, but that's another issue. That's another set of people. Most of them are males. Concern is sort of actionable intelligence. 
you know, it's, it's something that you're, you're aware of. You know, you're, you're, you're in the middle of the bridge. You know, the train comes through. You see lights coming. You should be concerned. You should be hugging the wall. Concern is healthy thinking. Without concern, we wouldn't act in a self-preserving manner. So I don't think Jesus is saying just be a non-thinking being, don't be responsible, don't have any concern in life. What he's talking about is worry, which this Dr. Luciani describes as sort of ruminative speculation. Worry is sort of anticipating chaos. It's self-torment. It's a lot of what-if thinking. You know, bad things are going to happen. It's sort of nightmare thinking. Worry isn't really that actionable because it's taking the things that are probably never gonna happen and letting your mind ruminate and ruminate and ruminate and spin out of control. It's one of the reasons actual worry is unproductive. This writer says, so when you're trying to sleep, it's well after bedtime, you're tossing and turning and unable to get comfy, you notice you're replaying the same scenario in your head some vision of tomorrow, of what might happen, how a hope could be dashed. If you've had this experience, you're far from alone. Researcher Lucas Lafreniere, a PhD, says, this is what breaks my heart about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try and prevent misery in the future. For chronic worriers, this process leads them to be continually distressed all their lives in order to avoid later events that never happen. Worry sucks the joy out of the here and now. In his study on worry, participants were asked to record their worries and how they caused their stress and interfered with their lives. Every night at 10 o'clock, they reported how much time they spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day. Then 20 days after that period, they reviewed each entry and reported whether any of the worries had become true. The good news is that this man's study found that in his survey of worrisome people, 91.4% of their worries never actually happened. Worry caused only more misery and did nothing to help the worriers handle whatever they had been worrying about. It's mainly because the hotly anticipated events never transpired. Worry is generally unproductive. I want to give you an excuse for concern. There's some rational thinking we need to do. But if you continue to ruminate and ruminate and ruminate over something, that's worry. And it's problematic. In fact, I would argue it's sin. Not, not to make you feel guilty. I'm right in there with you. But because it has a spiritual undertone. And that's what I want to talk about here. Worry demonstrates a transfer of faith and confidence from God to self. Or at least away from God. See, this is the underlying spiritual problem with worry. That's why one of Jesus' conclusions is, you of little faith. That's not a positive comment from our Savior. You of little faith. It's the underlying spiritual problem with worry. It is symptomatic of an erosion of our confidence that God has it. He's got it and he's got us. It clouds our faith. We don't see God the way we should anymore. And so if God is not a solution, it means somebody else is a solution. And the reality is it means you're probably looking at yourself as a solution. And I'm not big enough to handle the future. I, I'm not big enough to handle what God has intended to carry for me. Fog is kind of an amazing natural phenomenon. And a dense fog that uh, would be 100 feet deep and cover seven city blocks, if condensed, is only about a glass of water. Do you know that? You would think it'd be a lot, but it really isn't. Just a little water split up into vapor, or sort of vaporized, it becomes 
seven city blocks, 100 feet deep of fog. So that means if you've got a, you know, you've got a gallon, you can pretty much handle much of Calgary. You'd see 100 feet. So with a little more math and multiplication, let's say you've got a barrel, a whiskey barrel, all right? You've got a whiskey barrel full of water. Based on that calculation, I guarantee you, if we take a whiskey barrel of water and we turn it into fog, we can block out every view of the mountains all the way from Calgary to who knows where. Nobody would see any part of God's creation. Nobody would have a mountain view. Everything that God has done that's been on display for anyone living here, blocked out completely. Just a whiskey barrel full of water turned into fog. See, that's what worry does. It, it takes God. It doesn't take a lot of it. And, it. and it takes God out of view. It clouds everything. We worry because we no longer see God as a solution. And that's why it's actually got a spiritual problem at its roots. All right, just four apps as we close. First, put God first and let him worry about you. All right, now I'm using the word worry loosely there because God doesn't worry, but it's kind of cute here. Put God first and let him worry about you. One of the conclusions to this passage is verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You know, put what's important to God first and all these things are going to be added unto you. In other words, the clothes, the food, whatever you need in this life, God will take care of that. So worry about God and let him worry about you. Let you be his problem. You worry about what's important to him. You put him first. His kingdom, what he's trying to do in this world. Relationships that are redemptive, that, that draw people towards faith. Your spiritual life, the spiritual lives of those around you. You put all that first, you let God worry about you. Second, believe in God's priorities. You. Now, you know, there's seven billion people on the planet, and I get it. If, if there's Adam and Eve on the planet, I mean, we do the math and we have sort of a, and we diminish, you know, how we think God must feel about us because God is, we kind of think of God as like us, you know? If Adam and Eve are on the planet, there's just two people, I would say that you would agree they're kind of the center of God's attention, right? I mean, they're the center of God's creation. There's a garden, there's two people in it, and it's God's creation, and he's communicating with them daily. It seems like every day some visible form of God would walk with them in the cool of the evening. We see that reflected in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. I think it's Genesis chapter 3. So we look at two people on the planet, we're thinking, well, of course, man, God has them. I mean, he's thinking about them when he's not with them personally, you know, with that sort of whatever it was, the manifestation of God. He, he's, they're on his mind. And then we fast forward seven billion people, plus all the people who live between them and us, and we're thinking, oh, there's seven billion people on the planet. We're headed towards eight. I don't know what the exact numbers are right now. And it's pretty natural for us to think that it's not just Adam and Eve anymore, and so God's attention must be diluted. And there's no way God can look at us the way he would have looked at the world with just two people on it. But that's not true. God isn't that way. God is not diluted. The job didn't get harder for him. Believe in God's priorities. And God says that you're the crown of creation. 
You are his greatest priority more than any other aspect of what he's created. Do you believe that? Third, can I separate my concerns from my worries and address them? And by them, I mean the concerns. I I think that often we look at the Bible and it doesn't seem that practical when it comes to something like this because like God says, don't worry. And then we're like, okay, I'm not gonna worry. Yeah, no, it doesn't just work that way, does it? For those of you who are perennial worriers like me, it just doesn't seem easy. And so I think it can help to create some separation between what is a legitimate concern and what is a worry. Where you have concerns in life, what you should do with those concerns is you should act on them. Concerns are your mind telling you, hey, I'm giving you some actionable intelligence. You should act on that. So act on the things you can act on. If you're concerned about something, take some action. And then if you find yourself ruminating about something, you've moved from concern to worry to sort of this lack of faith area. And then those are the kinds of things you probably need to pray about. You can pray about your concerns too, but when you're worrying, that's when we're really crossing the line and we're saying we really don't trust God with our future. And finally, can I identify where life is uncertain and trust God with it? Uncertainty, research has been done on this, and uncertainty is basically why we tend to worry because we just don't know what's going to happen. I want to tell you about a couple of studies here that, that indicate this. Daniel Gilbert is a psychology professor at Harvard. He uh, was doing some work with the Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index, and that index showed that, now this is just, this is a little dated, this isn't from the last year or two, but that people, he said, are smiling less, worrying more than they were a year ago. Now this is pre-COVID, so I'm sure that's even more true. Happiness was down, sadness was up, People were getting less sleep, they're smoking more cigarettes. Depression was on the rise. And he said at that time, the real problem is not financial, it wasn't not having enough money, but it was something else. He said uncertainty is the source of anxiety in our lives. When we don't know what's going to happen, will I have a job next week? What's in the future for me? Professor Gilbert pointed to a couple of experiments where people were told, oh this is funny, I, I probably mentioned this one to you once before, People were going to be shocked 20 times, okay? So this is a Dutch experiment. Only the Dutch would do this. So (laughs) that was a joke. If you're Dutch, I love you. But it's funny that the Dutch did this. So the Dutch evidently got some people who were willing to be shocked 20 times. So good for those Dutch. They're willing to be a part of an experiment like this. They're going to be shocked intensely 20 times. So there's a group of Dutch people who are willing to get zapped 20 times, all right? The research told a second group of people that they were going to receive three of those 20 shocks and 17 little shocks, okay? So three big shocks, 17 little shocks for this group. So this is the group you're like, I want to be in that group because they're only getting zapped hard three times, but they're going to experience 20 shocks. So three of them are going to be like, you know, when you were little and somehow you touched the light socket, all right? Three of them are going to be like that, like knock you back on your butt. Can you say butt? Can't say it. Knock you on your seat. Three of them. 17 mild, you know, low voltage stuff. Over here, 20 knock you on your seat shocks. Guess what? Subjects in the second group 
that were only to be really shocked three times hard, sweated more, and had faster heart rates than the people who were going to get 20 bad shocks. You know why? It was uncertainty. They didn't know when the bad stuff was coming. This group of people knew after the first shock, okay, now I know what I'm in for. It's not going to kill me, but it's going to be painful. They knew what they were in for. These people maybe got some mild ones at first. They're like, is the bad one coming? Is the bad one coming? This group of people had much more anxiety, and they were going to suffer far less. God bless the Dutch. Because that's why we worry. I just want to know what's going to come next, and if I don't, I'm going to worry about it. There was another show, uh, study that showed that colostomy patients, so these are people who've had their colons removed, and they've got you know, a very difficult situation to live with where they don't have a colon. And so... You, you understand the situation. I lived with a couple where the man had lost his colon. When I was going through seminary, I lived with this elderly couple. And it was a very difficult thing for him. People who have a colostomy bag, who know that their colostomies are going to be permanent, are happier six months after their procedures than those who are told there might be a chance of reversing it. Think about that. A person who no longer has a colon, they no longer have a natural way of dealing with waste, and they'll be inconvenienced for the rest of their life, are happier than those who have a colostomy bag and think it might be reversible. There might be a way they can get me back to normal function. Because this group of people has come to grips with their certain future. This group of people has hope, and the hope is actually causing the anxiety. See, we just want to know the future. Even if it's awful, we just want to know the future. Can I identify where life is uncertain and trust God with it? Because that's where God comes into this equation. I have an uncertain future. You have an uncertain future. You get to my age, 41, and you know, you could live 50 years. I'm 58. People like me drop dead every day. And people like me live another 30, 40 years. It's that stage in life where there's such uncertainty in life. And that's what we worry about. Can I identify where life is uncertain and really put that in God's hand? God, we thank you for your word. And I know that this one is... Uh, probably pretty applicable to, to all of us. I know I'm a worrier and I know it disappoints you because I want to know the future and I sometimes feel more comfortable placing it in my hands than yours, even though you are God and I am not. And I suspect I'm not alone. And I pray that you would help us. This, this worry issue is a, is a worldwide pandemic of its own that we want certainty in life, and yet we don't always have it, and we often don't exhibit real faith and trust in you. Help us to be wise, help us to separate what's a legitimate concern in our lives and deal with sort of the actionable intelligence we get that just by being a thinking being, help us to separate that from real worry about the future that really needs to be placed in your hand and to be wise about the two. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, please go to our Bethany Chapel app and choose Connect 
or go online to bethanychapel.com and click come. Thanks again, and God bless you.